Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 52. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing Minecraft Dungeons, a new dungeon crawler from Mojang and Xbox Game Studios. Outriders has also caught my eye, and as a fan of looter shooters, I wanted to let you know all about this game. I also sat down with Lucas Hakura from Anshar Studios to talk about their new isometric RPG called Game Deck. There's a jam-packed show, let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you've had a good week. So this week I've been playing Minecraft Dungeons and I've had a great time with it. When I first saw it I kind of wrote it off in my mind, but it's a really chilled out game and I found it a really relaxing experience and a whole lot of fun too. So if you're interested in the game, I put together a starter guide which you can find on the This Week in Video Games YouTube channel. I'll get into my review of that first up in the show. Destiny also held their first ever live event in the game this week with the destruction of the Almighty, a huge ship that was on a crash course with one of the social spaces in the game. I'll give you my thoughts on the live event later on. And we also had some great teaser trailers for the next steps in Destiny, and we're going to find out more on Tuesday the 9th of June. So if that's something you're interested in, then check out Bungie's live stream on YouTube or Twitch. But first of all this week, let's get into my review of Minecraft Dungeons. So Minecraft Dungeons is a new game in the Minecraft universe that combines the characters and the world of Minecraft with the mechanics of a dungeon crawler like Diablo. So those adept with other dungeon crawlers like Path of Exile may turn their noses up at the game initially. However, for the pure fun factor and chilled vibes, this game is definitely worth checking out. So it's a new action role-playing game that expands the Minecraft world with loot, levelling up and exploration. There's a bunch of light RPG mechanics introduced here including vendors, artifacts and the need to repeat levels to get the best loot in the game. So Minecraft Dungeons is all about exploration, you know when you're in the story missions you want to make sure you're looking around for hidden chests. You can follow a yellow marker which will take you the fastest way through the level but you can bring up the map to find areas that you haven't explored before. Hidden chests, they're a great source of emeralds which also contain some of the best loot in the game as well. You can find chests and also hidden rooms that can be full of enemies, protecting more great loot. So when you open up chests you come across emeralds and you want to save these up so you can purchase items from vendors back at the camp later on. There's a few types of combat in the game, there's close range combat with swords, knives and glaives and axes, there's also long range weapon attacks with bows as well. And you'll pick up different weapons as you make your way through the game as they have different benefits. Knives, for example, you've got a short range and you can attack faster, whereas with the glaive that will give you more range but your attack speed will be slower. There's different bows too, and you have your standard bow that shoots a single item, your triple bow that shoots multiple shots, and also a crossbow for fast, precise action from range. Find the weapons that work for you and experiment to see what you like best. When you find something you like, then invest some enchantments into it and it will give you some unique abilities and perks. So the enchantment system offers players a certain amount of depth in Minecraft Dungeons that players of similar games are probably looking for. You know, don't get me wrong, this isn't going to go as deep as Diablo or Path of Exile. You know, this feels like a dungeon crawler light, an easy entry into the genre for those with little experience of other games that inspired Minecraft Dungeons. 
When you first get an item, you have a chance to choose which enchantment you place on the item. You can cycle through the available options. Pick one and then you can start to level it up. And you can upgrade enchantments up to three levels each time costing more, so do use them wisely. Enchantments can stack on top of one another, so if you find an enchantment you like, then you can boost the effectiveness of it by using more than one. Some of my favourite enchantments are Thundering, which give you the chance at Lightning Strike when you kill enemies with an effect that also damage enemies that are up close, so that's really useful for big groups. Piercing is also good for your range attacks as Fired Arrow sometimes gains the Piercing effect, which allows them to fly through multiple enemies. These are items that modify your playstyle further, and they can be found in loot chests at the end of levels, or they can drop from enemies. They include special abilities, including dropping a healing rift, summoning a wolf that will help you out in attacks or adding fireworks to your arrows to increase the damage. Artifacts combined with enchantments and weapons and armor can be combined to create specific builds. There's a big heart in the middle of the screen and that acts as your health container. As you get hit in battle your health will go down so you want to top this up from time to time. You can pick up potions and food that enemies drop after killing them and also some artifacts provide health regeneration too. You'll notice that there's some cows and other animals around the map and you can take them out with your weapons. They'll have a chance to drop some health allowing you to get out of some sticky situations. Once you've made it through a few levels, back at camp there'll be two vendors. You've got the blacksmith and the wandering trader. The blacksmith offers random gear and the wandering trader offers random artifacts, both for the currency emeralds. It's worth noting that a secret chest can be found in camp, so make sure you explore around your camp to find these chests and pick up some bonus emeralds. It's unlikely that you're going to find all the secrets on your first time through the levels. Use your map and find the hidden nooks and the crannies in the levels, and when you're higher in power you can also adjust the difficulty too. This will add more enemies or buff enemies to make them stronger, but the higher the difficulty, the better loot you're going to get, so the more risk, the greater the reward. Finally, this game is best enjoyed with friends, and you can play online or in local co-op with up to four players in total. The game scales the difficulty based on the numbers of players in the game, but if you can get together a group, it's a whole lot of fun. Minecraft Dungeons is not a long game, but it is entertaining and it acts as a good introduction to the dungeon crawling genre. There's just enough depth in here to keep your attention as well as the different difficulty levels to keep you coming back. The fact that this game is available on Xbox Game Pass makes it very accessible to new players. For example, I probably wouldn't buy the game, but the fact I had it on Game Pass made me want to give it a go. I had a great time with the game throughout my playthrough and I definitely recommend you give it a try. So the game was from Mojang Studios, part of Xbox Game Studios. First came out on the 26th of May 2020, and it's available for PC, Nintendo Switch, and Xbox One. And I gave the game a final score of 73 out of 100. Well, let me know what you think of the game by signing up to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. And if you're enjoying This Week in Video Games podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. It really helps get the word out about the podcast, and you can click a link down in the show notes for a nice, easy way to do a review. And don't forget, This Week in Video Games has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast. YouTube channel's got the entire archive of the podcast, as well as dedicated reviews, interviews, features, and loads of Destiny 2 content. Search This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest stuff. This Week in Video Games is also a Patreon where you can get access to exclusive content and early access to the podcast. 
Also, sign up for as little as $2, which is less than a cup of coffee, to contribute to the podcast each week and get exclusive Discord roles, vote for future content, and get your name immortalised as a producer in the show notes. Everything from Patreon gets invested back into making the show better, so if you enjoy This Week in Video Games, then sign up to Patreon today. Next up, it's a watch list feature, and this is definitely one to watch. And this is Outriders. Outriders is a new three-person co-op looter shooter following the steps of Destiny, Warframe and The Division. It's a brand new IP from People Can Fly and knowing the difficulties that others have had in successfully launching a game like this, then it's going to be really interesting to watch and see how this game does. I'm a huge fan of the genre and this is definitely one to add to the watch list. This is a third-person shooter from a developer with a history of working on Painkiller, Bulletstorm and also helping out with the Gears of War franchise. At first glance you can see the influence from Gears of War with the camera being set behind the main character. Clearly inspired by Destiny, Outriders is set in space and includes RPG elements, social hubs and special abilities. People Can Fly have emphasised the role of the story in the game with a narrative set to take the centre stage. The game can be played solo or with up to three players in total in co-op modes. The story focuses on a group of soldiers who are influenced by an unknown entity called the Anomaly while trying to colonise a planet called Enoch. Most of the soldiers on Enoch are killed by the mysterious force with a few leftovers who have become infected. The soldiers who are led to Enoch by an unknown signal and after most were disposed of by the Anomaly the remaining soldiers woke revealing a whole bunch of new powers. These new powers split the players into the class system in the game. You've got pyromancers, devastators and tricksters. Pyromancers can control fire, the tricksters are cunning and fast, whereas devastators are the tank class dealing huge amounts of damage. Each class has strengths and weaknesses and crucially a different way of healing, all of which greatly define how you play the game. The pyromancer, for example, heals whenever he or she puts something on fire, whilst the devastator and trickster benefit from close-up kills. This adds a lot of variety to how you play the game, something which only increases as you defeat enemies and builds up your characters. Although there's space magic in the game, the core of the game is focused on gunplay. Guns and loot are central to the game, with the numbers popping out of enemies as you shoot them. There are different rarities of weapons similar to the game like Destiny and A Division, and one of the main aims of the game is to level up your weapons and armour to get the best loot in the game. There's a huge skill tree for each character too, where you can create specific builds to match your playstyle. The abilities you create through the skill trees work with other players too, so you can create specific combos and cause massive damage together as a team. The combat is fast-paced and rewards more aggressive play rather than sneaking around corners in a throwback to Gears of War. There's also a familiar cover-based system that you can use in combat, and from the footage that we've seen, the combat looks pretty fun. Outriders has introduced an interesting mechanic for the difficulty called World Tears. So you can change the difficulty in battle depending on how you're getting on in the game, and as you progress you'll unlock new difficult World Tears. The game organically finds the right World Tier for you, so you can make Outriders just here for the story kind of game, or you can make the game tough as nails. The harder the game, the better the rewards, and when you get to the higher World Tears you have to optimise your loadout to continue. Whenever you die, you'll lose a world tier point levelling your in-game experience, making sure you don't go into something that's too high a level, and it will definitely be interesting to see how this one plays out. 
The RPG mechanics in Outriders are going to be front and centre, so you can level up, customise your gear, as well as speak to NPCs and the social hubs in the game. As we mentioned before, there's plenty of loot with chests all over. Character development is a big part of the game too, with Outriders featuring a flexible game system, allowing you to build your character in many different ways. Every class has multiple skills available, although you can only have a few of them equipped at a time. There are also character mods, which can be game-changing. When you level up, you learn class points, which can be used to modify your character. These are stat boosts to improve particular skills or buffs that make you more effective with firearms, but right from the start, you have a surprising amount of control over how your Outrider grows. The result is that no two characters will feel the same, even if they're the same class. Two pyromancers, for example, could play really differently with different strengths and weaknesses and will let you take them on different roles in the battlefield. Outriders, it looks really fun and certainly has a set of ambitious goals. It's looking to go into a busy looter shooter genre where chances of succeeding are very tough indeed. Just look at what happened to Anthem, you know, that came out from Bioware, a hugely successful developer with an awesome back catalogue who are backed by EA with loads of money and that failed spectacularly. But People Can Fly certainly have some good experience, but here they're taking on the looter shooter action RPG. From what I've seen, it looks really interesting, however only time will tell if Outriders will be a success. And the game is set for release sometime in 2020 on PS4, Xbox One, PC, and then perhaps later on on next generation consoles. Well let me know what you think of Outriders by signing up to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. So next up, let's have a look at the live event in Destiny 2 and see how that got on. The first ever live event just went down in Destiny 2 with the destruction of the Almighty, and this was the culmination of the story in Season of the Worthy. So what happened, and where do we go next? The Almighty was set on a crash course with the last city this season by the Cabal, and it's been getting closer and closer in recent weeks. Today, Bungie ran their first ever live event in Destiny 2. Before we go any further, let's check out what happened. So we all arrived in the tower and everyone grabbed a seat and we were all looking up into the sky at now huge almighty coming in hot towards the tower. Rasputin then activated the satellites which shot lasers and hurtled towards the almighty. As the almighty started to block out the sun you could see the lasers coming in from the top and the bottom. We had thought that maybe Rasputin wasn't going to show up, however with the lasers tearing through the sky the almighty only had a few minutes left. Rasputin started striking the Almighty from the top, the bottom and the side with thousands of shots all at the same time, slowly breaking down the ship. You can see the sparks flying off the Almighty from the tower. Then the core exploded, but it was still in the sky. You could see the fires burning hot on the Almighty, but it was still there. And then it happened. White light filled the sky and the Almighty was torn into a thousand pieces. Unfortunately, a huge piece broke off and it was heading directly for us. Luckily, it passed by and crashed into the mountains, but we could all feel the full force from the tower. And with that, the Almighty was no more. The tower wasn't so lucky though, as the back of the Eververse shop got damaged pretty badly. Shame it didn't take out the Eververse entirely. Everyone in the tower could inspect the damage site and pick up an emblem. So that's a nice little memento there of the live event. So after the event, if you head on over to see Anna, she's got some new texts for us in celebration of Rasputin coming through. I guess we now have a powerful ally and we're going to need everything that we can get for the oncoming battle against the darkness. 
Overall, I enjoyed the event. It was spread out over 90 minutes and arguably could have been much faster. I think if you'd have cut this thing down to about 20 minutes, it probably would have been better. However, I think Bungie is dipping their toe in the live event space in terms of building hype, getting everyone in the tower and having a shared moment that you had to be there for, then I think this succeeded. I really enjoyed being on Twitter with everyone sharing their screenshots, their predictions. It was definitely a whole lot of fun. I think our expectations have probably been set by bigger events in other games, and that's not to say that Bungie couldn't do something like that in the future. Season of the Worthy has been wrapped up, and the next stop is the full DLC and the Season 11 reveal on Tuesday. So see you there for the live stream and let the hype train begin for the next chapter in Destiny 2. This week at 10 we got PlayStation VR Worlds, that's up 20 places from last week's number 30. Number 9 this week it's The Last of Us Remastered. 8 this week it's Minecraft. And 7 this week it's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. At 6 this week it's Days Gone. And number 5 this week it's FIFA 20. Number 4 this week it's Grand Theft Auto 5. Number 3 this week it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Number two this week it's Animal Crossing New Horizons and still in at number one this week it's Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition so good work to the team on Xenoblade. And this is a momentous occasion because this is the first time I've done the charts in a year and a half of doing the podcast that Mario Kart 8 isn't in the top 10. So absolute shock horror there but I'm sure we'll see Mario Kart 8 speeding back into the charts next week. Next up let's have a look at what we got coming out in the next few weeks. So on June the 9th we've got a few games, we've got The Dark Eye, Book of Heroes coming out on PC, we've got The Elder Scrolls Online Greymore, that's on PS4 and Xbox One, and finally we've got Wise Memories of Celsetta, that's coming out on PS4. Then on the 11th we've got Beyond Blue, that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One and PC. Then we've got Samurai Showdown, that's coming out on PC. On the 12th we've got Warborn, that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC and Mac. Then on the 16th we've got Desperados 3, that's PS4, Xbox One and PC. We've got Disintegration, PS4, Xbox One and PC 2. Then on the 17th we've got Haxity, that's coming out on PC. Then we've got Pokemon Sword and Shield, the Isle of Armor, that's also on June the 17th. Then on the 18th we've got Waking, coming out on Xbox One and PC. Then on the 19th we've got Burnout Paradise Remastered, coming out on Switch. We've got The Academy, the first riddle, coming out on PC, Mac, iOS and Android. Then we got the big one, it's one of the biggest games of the summer, it's The Last of Us Part 2 coming out on the PS4 on June the 19th. Well next up I was lucky enough to sit down with Lucas Hakura from Anshar Studios and we were talking about a new isometric RPG called Game Deck, really awesome looking cyberpunk tabletop inspired game so let's go over to that interview now. Welcome back to This Week in Video Games, and I'm here with Lucas from Anshar Studios, and we're here to talk about Game Deck. So, first of all, Lucas, how are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. Doing great, considering. <laughs> yeah, in- interesting times that, w- that we're living in, and uh, how, how has the sort of current global situation affected uh, the, the game development? Is it, has it been a big impact or, or not, not too bad? I mean, the, the, the impact on our lively routines have been enormous, obviously. There's, uh, there's full remote work uh, implemented, there's no travel, and my job usually 
usually involves a lot of traveling to to events, etc. So so the change is big, but the impact on the actual performance, I think, is much smaller than I anticipated. Uh, we're a very lucky industry that that this didn't affect it as I, I wouldn't say at all because the the psychological fact of being isolated is is, is without a doubt it is a factor in 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 your attitude towards your job etc. But I think that we're really lucky and and uh, to be to be able to still earn a living and and do what we did previously just not going out from home from home. How how have you adapted to the kind of remote working style? Is that something you did before, or is that a new kind of cultural change? Uh, I mean, company-wise, we worked remotely when we founded Onshore Studios. So so eight years ago, when when I co-founded Onshore with my friend, it was remote work only. And after I think something like a year, a year and a half, we decided to rent an office because I was going crazy. Uh, and uh, because I was crunching all the time, you don't see the difference that much from work in your private life when you're working from home. And I think that if it's going to be a prolonged uh, isolation and it's going to be the same thing, I'm going to feel like I want work all the time. Uh, but besides that, uh, the, the change was big also on the technological side because we grown to almost 100 people from four people. So if you want to put really fast, uh, almost 100 people to remote work uh, inside a week, that was challenging on RIT. But afterwards, not, not so much, I think. Everything works now. Have you put any extra um, techniques or um, working practices in place to kind of emulate that kind of social aspect of work? Uh, we tried to have open channels on Discord, for example, that like you can just enter into a room, you know, into a chat room and, and just be there and talk with somebody who's working on the same project, etc. Uh, it had mixed results because usually people are just silent because they don't know if they're interrupting or not. So it's not the same thing. Uh, uh, we... Uh, I know that people are playing online together in video games. We, for example, have a group of people that play pen and paper every week uh, remotely via Fantasy Grounds. So, um, but other than that, there are more meetings, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on the perspective. Uh, so sometimes I feel like I'm on a call all day. Uh, but besides that, not much has changed, I think. That's, that's good to hear. And... Uh, well, we're here today to talk primarily about Game Deck, and I've seen your I've seen your videos, uh, I've seen um, the ten minutes of ten minutes of gameplay. It looks absolutely fantastic. I was wondering if you could um, tell our listeners a bit more about Game Deck and uh, what it's all about. Sure. So, uh, Game Deck is a uh, is an RPG. Uh, it's uh, we call it uh, adaptive cyberpunk isometric RPG. The the adaptive part means that it's super heavy on branching narrative. Uh, so the, the idea is that the, the, the core idea of the game is that we wanted to invoke similar feelings to playing a pen when you play a pen and paper RPG, basically. So there is this moment in pen and paper RPG where, where the game master explains you the, the situation, explains the world, and then at the end of the 
at the end of his explanation asks, okay, so what do you do? Uh, so, and the idea is that when you, that when you enter game deck, that that's our goal, that's our that's our dream. That when you enter game deck, you you have the scene set up for you. It's a particular scenes, uh, and you can explore it in any way you like, and and whatever you think of. We hope that we think of too, <laughs> that you we actually give you the options to do it. Uh, and the, the, the more times that we will succeed in that, the, the, the better the game will be in terms of predicting what the players might do in, in our game. Um, so it's heavily inspired by pen and paper RPGs, and the game itself is about, uh, about a game deck. A game deck is a profession. You're a detective inside vir virtual worlds, inside, ga inside games. It's based on a book IP uh, written by Marcin Przybyłek. The book is uh, pretty well known in Poland, uh, not, not so much outside because it was never translated until now. Uh, and the, the premise is that the world is so far advanced, the cyberpunk game, uh, that people, people already live in virtual worlds, robots, the AIs already live inside real world, walking around in robots robot bodies, etc. So it's very post-transhumanism. It's like, it's not the Deus Ex problem, right? Where where they were thinking about, is it a problem? So in game deck, it's not a problem anymore. It's <laughs> it's very post-transhumanist uh, post world where, where, where the real world and the virtual intertwine. And uh, because the virtual is so popular, there is a new profession uh, detectives that specialize specifically in solving cases inside virtual worlds, and you're one of those game decks. Um, and uh, obviously, it's a cyberpunk game, so there's a there are corporation, and there's a conspiracy, and there's a whole uh, meta scenario built around it. But uh, we haven't talked yet openly about uh, the, the 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 main story of the game, only about its premise. So, so I'm not going to divulge further into that. Yeah. So. Game Deck is an isometric RPG uh, inside a cyberpunk world uh, with heavy branching narrative and uh, without combat. That was uh, uh, that's maybe not a USP because you cannot really have uh, maybe advertise a game about a feature that you don't have. But it is an interesting approach to to isometric RPGs in that sense. And could you tell us a little bit more about the mechanics and how players interact with the world? Yeah, so the, uh, the, the interaction is very intuitive for anybody who actually played uh, any isometric RPGs. So you steer it as, as you would expect, uh, either with a gamepad or, or with, a, with a mouse. But uh, uh, the systems themselves consist of uh, a couple of things. One is uh, interactions, obviously, so dialogues or interactions with, with uh, with uh, items, elements of the scene. Uh, and inside those dialogue systems, there are a couple of other systems like using, uh, losing specific abilities or later on, we, we call them uh, aspects or, or using professions that you build off of those aspects. So you build your character in a way uh, that suits you. And then depending on the character build you have, different avenues uh, in the narrative open up for you. So in that sense, you might think of it a little bit of like David Cage's games, right? So like Heavy Rain or Detroit Become Human, where depending on 
what did you actually found somewhere on the scene, different avenues open up for you narratively than later on in your attractions. Uh, the biggest system uh, is the deduction system, and that's uh, when you gather clues about things uh, inside our game, about a particular case, for example, you deduce the outcome, so you deduce what uh, you or the, the, the avatar that you're playing actually thinks. And the biggest difference between our deduction system and, and what you usually think about a deduction system in a detective game is that there are no wrong answers. So if you, whatever you choose is that you think is the right answer, we try to adapt and we try to move the narrative in that direction that your character actually believes that. Uh, and we don't really judge you if it's, if, it's, if it's a good judgment or a bad judgment. Is it even true? We just roll with it. That's the, that's the premise of the game. That's a core idea. And you mentioned there the profession system. I was wondering if you could divulge any more details about that. Uh, actually, I don't think that we are because we, we, we talked about the professions, uh, um, maybe not in depth, but a little bit in our Kickstarter update. So the, uh, the idea is that when you choose a particular avenue in the narrative, in the interaction, let's say it's, uh, it's usually based on uh, how you think emotionally, like for example, are you more analytical or maybe you're more uh, open up in the discussion, uh, more talkative, etc. So depending on how you approach an interaction, you can gain an aspect of a certain kind, right? And you treat those aspects like experience points in a particular branch, and then you can exchange those uh, for professions. So, for example, you can have an influencer branch of uh, an influencer, I think, is a high-end profession right now. Those, those names are work in progress. They sometimes change, so I, I might not be up to speed on everything. But uh, you have this uh, more of a talk my way out of things avenue, right? That made you may end up with an influencer profession that opens up different avenues for you, or maybe more technical side, so like a programmer or coder profession, etc. So the idea is that your actions define uh, define. What, what, how you build your character and what avenues open up for you. Uh, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to avoid the situation where uh, you're doing one thing in a game, but you could spend your, let's say, experience points on anything that you like because you wanted to create an optimal build, for example, or something. The idea is that this is a game about your choices and the consequences of them. About So your character creation shouldn't be optimized it should be like adapted to what you feel is right right and and you should have fun with it basically uh, that's also a part of the reason why we don't have combat in the game because whenever you introduce combat inside of a game then this instinct to optimize to min max like kicks in and we want to focus on role playing so you touched there on the kickstarter process and i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how that process went for you yeah, so uh, it, I think it went pretty well. Uh, we 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 started a Kickstarter campaign a little bit over a month ago. For we are aiming at fifty thousand dollars. We raised uh, a little bit over one hundred seventy. Uh, so 
so more than triple the, 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 the initial goal, which is super cool. Um, obviously, the, that's, the, the idea here was to come out to the community to, to, to show the game and, and invite the community to give us feedback and to interact with, to, to make sure that we're making this game for a certain type of a player, right? Not just for us, but, but for a broader audience. Uh, because obviously the, the the budget of the game is, is is it's it's not a super small indie game. It's not a AAA either, but it's way beyond the the the, the Kickstarter budget, right? It was the, the idea was to come out and 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 gather a community that could give us feedback and help us uh, help us evolve with this game. That was the that was the idea, and I think that we 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 gathered almost 5000 backers so i think that was that was a success but let's see how the interactions will go we're right now we're working hard on the backer build so we're going to send out a, a closed beta to our backers and uh and we'll see what's the feedback so that sounds really good and uh, so i guess the next step is to sort of have a look at that feedback from from the audience and are you intending on rolling that feedback into the development process I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't maybe go necessarily as far as shaping it. I mean, the, the, the idea is that we want to hear, we want to, um, we want for that feedback to have a huge influence on our decision making, but, uh, but not necessarily the solutions proposed, you know, because you have the old problem of, Henry Ford, and if I ask people yeah. what they want, they, they would want faster horses. <laughs> so uh, usually the feedback is just a symptom of a problem that, that it's there, right? So, 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 so maybe there's a solution proposed or, or a feature proposed that we cannot deliver upon because, for example, doesn't make any sense technically or, or whatever or budget-wise, but it might be a symptom of a problem that we have. and and hearing that feedback is always useful because then you can come back to the drawing board and analyze because you have the, 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 the deep, um, deep knowledge about your game and through the lenses of that feedback, you can analyze the problem better and, and then maybe iterate on it and propose solutions, right? It's, for example, it worked brilliantly uh, for early access with um, Divinity Original Sin 2 where the fourth joy, the, the almost one fourth of the game, was available in early access, right? And it's one of the best levels I think ever created in terms of how many how many approaches you can have to escape for joy, etc. Right? It's a it's a beautifully shaped, and that's part of the part of it is enormous feedback from the community. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it was funny when you mentioned the Henry Ford example there. I was thinking exactly the same thing as you were saying it. <laughs> yeah. And it's in terms of your approach to to the team and how you kind of tackle design challenges together. Is it? Do do, do you have a um, what What's your approach to that? Do you have a kind of strong vision of where you want to go, or do you like to prototype and kind of iterate on ideas? Yeah, so uh, I, I think that to have a really strong idea inside your head and a very clear creative vision, you have to have one of three things. Uh, you either have to be a genius or, or have to be have an enormous amount of luck uh, or have an enormous amount of experience. 
And why I like to think that we're gathering that experience, we're nowhere near uh, veterans of an RPG, right, genre. Game Deck is our first RPG, uh, first full uh, full RPG game that we're working on as a company. Uh, well, I don't believe in luck, <laughs> or at least, I, I mean, I know that luck plays a role, a big role in it, but I just don't want to leave it up to luck. And I, I definitely don't think we're geniuses. So, uh, yeah, we the Game Deck is in production for four years now and it's an isometric RPG for two and a half years <laughs> just to give you an idea that for a year and a half we didn't even know didn't even settle on a genre uh, of the game right so uh, so there was a lot of soul searching a lot of we knew what we wanted to accomplish in terms of the pen and paper RPG feeling and the the, 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 the systemic narrative so the the idea that we want to shape emotions for systems and for interactions and we don't have choices that have consequences. But we we just, we knew that, but we didn't know how to do it, right? So that's why we prototype a lot. We did, we had a visual novel prototype, we had a sim manager prototype, we had a lot of different prototypes, even a card game at a point. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we settled on, on isometric RPGs because we settled on familiar ground for pen and paper RPG fans. That was basically our, uh, our um, you might say, even compromise. Uh, because when you think about references for us, it's not isometric RPGs per se. It's more games like Lucas Pope's Return to Aberdeen or... Uh, or Papers, Please, or This World of Mine, those are all systemic narrative games. Uh, and those are, for us, even bigger references than, than other isometric RPGs, right? So that the genre wasn't clear at first. Uh, so yeah, definitely iterating and looking for and, and, and trying, to, trying out different things. That was our approach. And um, what's, the, what's the thing that you're most proud of with Game Deck? Oh, <laughs> it's a little bit too early to say uh, because um, because I'm more scared than proud right now. I mean, because I'm I'm super proud and happy with the with with the fact how the game deck was received. The thing is that now we need to deliver upon the promise, which is kind of scary uh, because we're super happy of how it was received and. Uh, uh, the game, uh, my art director doesn't doesn't agree with me, but I think the game looks great, <laughs> and uh, obviously the 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 artists uh, are gonna still work very hard on making it look even better. But we didn't have a single complaint in the in the art department. You might say when when we gather feedback, everybody everybody is usually super happy with the with the with the art of the game. So I'm happy that this never came up as an issue. Uh, but there is a still long way to go for me to be super happy with um, with accomplishing our goal, with the with the branching narrative, with the with the adaptive fidelity of it. So still a long way to go. And what's what's been the kind of like biggest challenge along the way? Do you think pacing? I think uh, because the the reason we took out combat was one of the reasons. There were there were. One, one, one of the reasons was that we, we thought it would make the game easier to develop because there's much less systems to implement. Well, that was 
that was wrong, but I will, <laughs> I will return to that. Um, and the second reason we removed combat was that we, I also mentioned the optimization part, right? That we want to focus on role play, uh, on creating the character that you like to play, not necessarily want to play because you want to be optimal in, in, in the combat fight. So the, uh, but when you take out combat from such a game, you, which we learned the hard way when we, when we played different prototypes and we, we gathered feedback from, from playthroughs, you, uh, you leave a big gap in, in dopamine bursts when you play the game, with pacing of the game in terms of I want to have my, for example, standard, when the perfect RPG design you have is that I want to have my dialogue choice, I want to have my you know, exploration slash stealth sequence, I want to have my combat, and then I want to do it all over again. So I have a little bit of different things happening to me all the time, right? When when the game is focused on the, only on the interactions part, so basically walking, interacting with objects, and, and making decisions, it can be super hard, even if the interactions are made very well, it's super hard to remain focused all the time and not to introduce boredom into the player. So, the, so we try to fix those with um, with uh, twists, uh, especially in um, like dynamic animations, like for example, I don't know, car bursting in into a building, etc. Right. So we try to have those spikes from time to time. Uh, but actually, with combat, it would be super easier, that pacing part, right? And the, the dopamine shots part. So I think that making the game constant, uh, constant in terms of your attention span is the biggest challenge in, in this kind of game. I have to agree with you with the art of the game. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, that, that was the one thing. The, the, the kind of overall atmosphere um, I think is uh, fantastic and you set the scene uh, perfectly, I think. So I, I think you, you and your team have done a fantastic job there. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, all, the, it's all, all kudos to the, to the art team, yeah. And uh, so um, I'm sure a load of people out there uh, are listening to this and wondering um, how they can find out more about Game Deck. Um, so, um, yeah, how, how can players um, get more information? Yeah, sure. Uh, we have a Steam page uh, set up uh, with uh, with a uh, with community there. We have uh, social media accounts: uh, Game Deck the Game for Twitter and and Game Deck uh, for for Facebook. But I think that if you want to have real in depth uh, uh, in depth knowledge about Game Deck and be uh, part of the community, we have a Discord um, server for Game Deck. Uh, which is uh, quite uh, quite alive, especially after Kickstarter. We we have a lot of people join in, and and it's alive, and a lot of uh, discussions about the game are happening there. So wishlist us on Steam and uh, join our Discord. That's awesome, and I'll I'll put the links uh, to all your social media accounts, the trailer and the Discord down in the show notes, so people can get uh, easy access to to all of that. Superb. And uh, do you have a rough timeline for the game, or is that kind of uh, TBD at the moment? Yeah, production-wise, uh, yeah, it's TBD, especially after Kickstarter, uh, because the, 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 we we had a couple of stretch goals that expanded the scope of the game, especially the 
new worlds uh, that we added, uh, the, the, the collaboration with Seven Days Long Gone, uh, the full story RPG that we put in a, a game world from, of their game inside our game, and, uh, and the Cthulhu story storyline, the, the additional case, those, those expanded the scope of the game quite a bit. So uh, on the one hand, we're super happy with the Kickstarter. On the other hand, right now we need to regroup and, and figure out uh, and figure out the, the actual timelines for it. So no comment at the moment. Awesome. And uh, well, I wanted to move slightly away from uh, Game Deck and um, talk about Anshar Studios. Uh, sure. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the studios and um, ha- you know how how you came into into being. Yeah. So uh, we co-founded Anshar Studios eight years ago uh, with with my friend Chris, uh, and shortly after. Uh, Gregory uh, Gregory joined us as a, as a, as an owner co-owner, and uh, we founded Unsure Studios mostly because it's a very uninspiring story. Uh, because I was f- we were fired basically from from our previous job, the studio that we were working on shut down, uh, and all the good job offers were in different cities, <laughs> and I really liked my city, and I didn't want it to move. So, so we co-founded. Uh, so we then decided, okay, th- there's not going to be a better time. We're always joking about it, so maybe let's stop joking about it and actually start a studio. Uh, and that's how we that's how we founded uh, founded Anshar. And because we were just a couple of specialists without any capital, uh, that's why we went with the work for hire route, which sticked around till today. I mean, Anshar is mostly a work for hire company. We we collaborate with with other studios with either co-production or full escape production or porting remasters so we're primarily uh, a service company basically uh, of uh, of almost 100 people right now uh, but from time to time we we create our own our own games more of a part of a bigger strategy to 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 create a quality brand you might say but we wanted to we wanted to with our first party projects, we wanted to show our craftsmanship, basically, and uh, by doing uh, the kind of games that we love, right? Because you are not always able to do the kinds of games that you love as a work for hire. So, uh, so the first party projects are also kind of a mental valve for some people. Well, you must have really learned a lot going from working in a studio to starting your own business. What was the biggest thing that you didn't know before you started? Whew, I think that uh, <laughs> there was so much things I didn't know. So much things I didn't know. So uh, I think that the biggest um, uh, the biggest difference is that when you're a developer uh, only, uh, you always you kind of don't notice the business side of things. You don't notice things, you know, like cash flow is king, right? That's that's for example uh, one of the lessons learned is cash flow is king. Uh, is that the business part is really hard. And uh, so, for example, when you're working for the let's say for a big man, right? You you always like you're always like yeah, they're not working. We're the ones that are working. And when suddenly you own a company and you're uh, basically working our ass off for eight years, uh, but obviously I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure and I don't hold them against them. Most of my employees probably think I don't do anything, 
because that's how that's how it goes, <laughs> basically. So uh, yeah, I didn't know it was so hard, um, but wouldn't it? I think it would be super hard for me to come back from it right now, um, because you, when you tasted it, uh, it's 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 addictive. So if you had the chance, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself eight years ago? Uh, my advice to myself eight years ago, um, yeah, I would, uh, uh, I think that I thought eight years ago that I was an experienced developer because I was already like six years in the industry. So I thought that I know much uh, about how things are supposed to be done. And it wasn't until a couple of years back that I realized that I know almost nothing and that I need to constantly learn. <laughs> and constantly, the, the, the industry is super open, super open and super open to sharing knowledge. So the fastest you build your, uh, your connection based, and, and, and I mean it in a very good way because not connection like cold, cold calls connection, right? I'm saying simply friends that you share your experience with and you can have access to, to if you're not an asshole, you can have an access to, to amazing people that are super open and to, to share their experience. And I would say, listen, <laughs> listen to the more experienced people because the young people usually know better and I also knew better and I knew nothing, right? So, but the thing is that probably if I would say it to myself, I wouldn't listen to myself either. So maybe that's just how it goes. So where you are in Poland, have you got a good development community there? Uh, I mean, the Poland is, the, the region here is Silesia. Uh, so it's, it's an agglomeration of over 2 million people and we have a lot of studios. Uh, but uh, the, 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 there are, I think, more centers like this in Poland. You have Warsaw, you have Krakow, you have Wrocław. You have uh, the free city. I don't know if it's called this way in English, but basically free cities uh, and uh, free big cities and um, in the north of the Poland. So there's uh, game development in general is pretty vibrant in, in Poland. And uh, there are a lot of developers here, a lot of companies. And I think we're in a superb position as a country, actually, because we're, we're in the sweet spot where we are developed enough to have a top talent here, grown here. We have the capability of growing top talent in Poland. And on the other side, we're not that advanced, like, for example, Western, uh, Western European countries or United States when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to salaries and costs of living, where actually being a game dev means, uh, means like a medium class, right, still. Uh, because you can earn a lot of money as a programmer, but when you live in a California region, it's still not enough, right? Mm. And you can earn a lot of money in Poland and and uh, as a programmer, for example, in game dev, and have really good living. So we're in a very good position right now to be a to be a game developer in Poland. So I was wondering, how did you originally get into the games industry? Uh. That's uh, also a very uninspiring story. <laughs> I was, uh, uh, I always loved video games. Uh, so I was an avid gamer since my, like, since like four years old. Uh, so I always loved video games, but I don't know why was it 
the, the, the lack of understanding of how you create games or, uh, or, or any other reason. I don't know why, but I had this idea that it must have been boring, that, that, that creating video games is super boring. That was my idea of creating video games. Uh, and I tinkered with computers a lot. I love computers. I, 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 I assembled them, etc. So I had this idea that I will have a computer store someday. Uh, uh, my own shop with, with, with computer services, etc. So, uh, because I'm from the family of uh, pro academia professors, there was no option that I wouldn't have a higher degree in education because my family would despise me. Uh, I went to study computer science and with the idea of owning a computer shop. And, but yeah, it took uh, one line of code for me and I was, okay, I'm going to be a game developer. So, <laughs> so super late because uh, in my first year of university, I, uh, I decided to be a video game programmer uh, like almost instantly because I fell in love with the power of being able to create something. Uh, and it was spotted by a professor that owned a video game company and basically hired me like two years into my uh, studies. In terms of uh, if someone wanted to get into the games industry, say uh, you know, people at university listening now, um, what, what advice would you give them if, if they wanted to, go, to get in as well? Uh, Create games. Uh, we, we're not in the. We're in a position where there are absolutely no excuses right now not to have a portfolio. Uh, and uh, just to clarify, people by portfolio usually mean game jam games. And I'm. Uh, that's a very unpopular opinion, but I'm. I'm against actually uh, game jamming. I mean, there. I, I think there are an awesome social experience, but to think that it has anything to do with real game development is just, well, I think it's done a lot of bad actually to the industry because people think now that this is how you create video games and 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 you have tons of indie developers with their hopes up and, and they don't know what they're getting themselves into because they, they go off from a high of three days of crunch. Mm. Uh, so, so I'm not a big fan of game jams. I mean, I, I don't make get me wrong. I see the value in them, uh, but uh, but I think that they're much overrated. Uh, but creating your own stuff uh, after hours, being it at the university or in day job or however, but creating your own stuff and and playing with with engines, with languages, with with art programs, whatever whatever it is that is your cup of tea. Simply doing is the best way because, uh, although uh, I still value education very much, and and I think that that experience is also super important. But when you don't have experience, you're gonna be mainly judged on your portfolio. On okay, what were you doing with your time? If you're really so passionate about video games, about creating video games. Uh, if you really are, that probably means that you have 10 unfinished projects inside your portfolio. And while I necessarily don't think that having 10 unfinished projects is a super good thing, uh, because maybe it would be better to have two finished ones, it still shows your passion, right? It's, it's much better than, well, I actually didn't do anything. I'm just 
looking to get some experience, right? Mm. Because there's no excuse right now. The entry barrier is super low. There are tons of tutorials online. There are engines. There are software programs. There are programs for students to get so many amazing tools for free that there's really no excuse. If you want to create video games, we'll start right now. You can. I remember back when I was a student, um, you, you had to go through kind of tutorial books. And I think these these days it, it, it's quite good because you've got interactive courses and the, the kind of, um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I learn much better through doing rather than um, watching or listening. I, I'm much more of a kind of kinesthetic learner. And I, I think these days the opportunities out there for that kind of doing learning are really, really, really great. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's there's nothing holding you back right now than 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 than, uh, than yourself in terms of if, if you can spend time on something because sometimes you might have a situation where you can't. Obviously, there are, there are different different situations, but usually there are no excuses, and uh, you're usually judged by your portfolio. If you don't have experience, you're usually judged by your portfolio, right? So. So start doing video games, and um, that's the and then apply for jobs on junior positions, right? Uh, attending game jobs is also good because you get you're going to be part of the community. It's just for me, it's not a learning experience; it's a social experience, right? Mm. Um, a very good social experience because you're going to be part of the an awesome community, and and a lot of people that actually work at a, at companies do go there. Uh, so once you have a portfolio, going to game jams and going to events, well, now you won't go anywhere <laughs> because of the situation, but usually I would encourage to find a community inside your country or um, inside uh, your, um, your city that there are probably some kind of events that are happening, game, game gatherings. And try to go to those and there are usually a lot a lot of juniors there looking for jobs but there are people there that actually contribute from actual companies but then again in Poland for example I know that it's not this way everywhere but in Poland like every company is hiring like if, if a company is not hiring it basically means it's gonna shut down soon because they don't have money or something but every company that that is functioning <laughs> In the video game industry is hiring right because uh, there's such a big demand so so just build up portfolio and apply because there are places to apply to fantastic and uh, well Lucas what with all of the kind of game development you're involved in do you get any time to play games yourself unfortunately yes I think that I think that Ansh, I think that Ansher Studios would be much more powerful and much bigger company and and we would I don't know work on much bigger IPs if I, I wasn't such an avid gamer uh, so yeah I played a lot of video games still really a lot and that's uh, usually uh, well a couple hours a day still usually during the night obviously recently I, I went into Elder Scrolls Online I haven't played that I know it's been around for a couple of years but I haven't played that, so right now it's Elder Scrolls Online, Chimera Squad, because I'm a big tactical fan, so so Chimera Squad plus Gears of War Tactics uh, mm. uh, are um, uh, are my number one on the on the list right now. Recently finished Resident Evil 3, 
the remake, obviously. Um, so yeah, I I play a lot of video games. Um, it's interesting. It's been a big month. Um, well, I guess April. Um, it was a big month for um, tactical games. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm a uh, I'm a super big fan of uh, of XCOM. Uh, I, I spend almost three hundred hours in XCOM too. Uh, so so I'm super happy with Camera Squad and 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 super excited because I think it's an experiment. Uh, I think they just want to, that's my theory, but I think they just want to check out if the if the format's going to pan out, because it's a small game, it's a cheap game, right? Uh, uh, and if it pans out, and it looks like it does, it did, uh, then they're going to squeeze out more often this kind of uh, content, which, which I'm super excited for. Because I think that was an experiment, right? They, they, they have this big AAA brand, mm. and now they are creating this basically small thing built on the same technology for 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 like 15 bucks I think right now right so so it is a big strategy change and it's super interesting to me and I hope they're gonna they're gonna go continue that because that means more content for us more often and are there any uh, indie games that have caught your attention recently uh well when, when it comes to strictly indie games haha I to be totally honest, I don't play that much of indie games, depending on what you uh, what you consider an indie game. Yeah. Because, for example, I spent I'm still spending almost a hundred hours in There Are Billions. It's a game that is constantly updated. And, yeah. Uh, well, it is an indie game. It's just a very successful game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's an amazing game because it's also a tactical, uh, more of a RTS kind of a tactical game, but still my cup of tea um recently i played bonfire it's a it's a, it's a game made by my friend uh, tom grahoviak from Moacube. it's a roguelike it's, uh, a very nice uh, tight tactical core loop also so if you didn't check it out check it out bonfire um and yeah but most most of all it was bigger games like you know that, that it was a big Big couple of months with uh, big year actually with uh, Star Wars game with uh, with the uh, Death Stranding with but there's a lot of games out there to play. Yeah, yeah. the uh, I, I saw there was a there's an, I think there's a new DLC coming for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, I just finished it like a couple of weeks ago. So because it was. It was just too much at the same time because I first finished Death Stranding, so uh, so I just picked it up a couple of weeks ago and finished it. Just finished it. Really, also really good game. Uh, but I I haven't. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna get my. There's just two hours inside it. Too many hours. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's too much content. Too much content. And um, I was wondering if there's anything that you're kind of looking forward to in 2020 in terms of games. Uh, well, besides, uh, you know, usual suspects that everybody's waiting for, like Cyberpunk or, or The Last of Us 2, uh, then, uh, and I think that the biggest one for me is The Last of Us 2, uh, I'm super excited for Early Access of Baldur's Gate, but I'm not going to play it. Mm. Uh, I'm going to wait for the, for, for the whole thing, but I'm going to buy it off the bat. Um, and 
and actually know nothing else because my sights were were on Chimera Squad and Gears of War Tactics. Mm. Gears Tactics. So so like the the, the big and Resident Evil Free. So the biggest treats of this year already happened for me, right? Because I was super looking forward to to Resident Evil and Gears Tactics. So the last big one is is uh, is the June release of The Last of Us Two. Yeah. And uh, ho- I mean, hopefully, we'll have the new consoles um, coming out this year. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's a bit up in the air at the minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, is there anything in particular you're kind of looking forward to with the with the new suite of consoles? Uh, you know, after after a while, it's like I mean, there's more there's more RAM. There's more processing power. There's going to be SSD. There's all this cool stuff, right? That's that's coming in. But the only real game potential game feel changer uh, will be the the haptic feedback from mm. from from Sony. So I don't know how that's going to work, and 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 might be interesting. I don't know. So actually, for me, I'm not a big hardware freak. I mean, I I, I have. Obviously, I have all the almost all the consoles, and and I have a strong PC because I'm in the industry. But at the end of the day, it's all about the content for me, right? So, and there's still a lot of stuff that's have not been announced, and uh, I think we're it's too early to say what we're looking forward to in terms of exclusives, in terms of what they're gonna do with 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 the power there, right? So for me, it's more about the lineup. Uh, and uh, and actually, I, I can't think of one single thing that that maybe besides Cyberpunk for next gens, <laughs> because I I prefer to play such games on consoles, and I think that uh, that it's a little bit too big of a game for current gen. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I think we're gonna um, we're gonna find out a lot more tomorrow because I think Xbox are doing their. Um, kind of unveiling of third-party content tomorrow, so we should we should find out. By the time everyone listens to this, we'll um, we'll know exactly what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Lucas, um, I've taken up plenty of your time today. I really appreciate you um, talking or taking the time to talk to us on this week in video games about Game Deck, uh, your studio, and your experience in the industry. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck for um, the development of Game Deck. And uh, I'll be keeping a, a close eye and uh, jumping into your Discord really soon. Superb. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that was me there talking to Lucas Hakora from Anchar Stewart. And thank you, Lucas. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on This Week in Video Games, and everyone should go out there and have a look at Game Deck. Well, that's it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, then contact me through patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games, or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments, or your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, so search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in that conversation. Well, thanks again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a good week. I'll talk to you in a few days, but for now, I'll see you soon.